chapter fifteen, the Quidditch final. From this episode on, on request, I'll be reading and pointing out some of the nice sentences and nice word usages, so you can learn English. Okay, I'll try to put a compilation in the end of the episode. It is a good book to learn English with. <laughs> J.K. Rowling is a good writer. Okay, let's go. This chapter starts with H, not Harry, but he. He sent me this. Hermione said, holding out the letter. Holding out. See, already one. Dear Hermione, we lost. I'm allowed to bring him back to Hogwarts. Execution date to be fixed. Vicky has enjoyed London. I won't forget all the help you gave us, Hagrid. Just passed the tissue already, right? So how are you going to describe that? J.K. did it like this. Harry took it. The parchment was damp, and enormous teardrops had smudged the ink so badly in places that it was very difficult to read. And disasters actually bring people together, eh? So we see Ron and Hermione make up, make out, and make up. So Hermione was saying and wiping her tears, wiping her eyes, say there will be an appeal, though there always is. Only I can't see any hope. Nothing will have changed. Yeah, it will," said Ron fiercely. "You won't have to do all the work alone this time, Hermione. I will help." Oh, Ron! <laughs> Hermione flung her arms around Ron's neck and broke down completely. Ron, looking quite terrified, patted her very awkwardly on the top of the head. Finally, Hermione drew away. Ron, I'm really, really sorry about Scabbers. She sobbed. I guess all it took was a sorry, an apology. So Ron said, "Oh well, he was old and he was a bit useless. You never know. Mom and Dad might get me a now now." I'm so shipping them right now. <laughs> Those are safety measures imposed on the students since Black's second break-in made it impossible for Harry, Ron, and Hermione to go and visit Hagrid in the evenings. Their only chance of talking to him was during care of magical creature lessons. He seemed numb with shock at the verdict. He kept on saying that Lucius Malfoy stood up and said his bit, and the committee just did exactly what he told them to. Hagrid's pretty given up. It's like I'm just going to make sure Beaky's last period of time this is the happiest. I owe him that. Don't try to cheer him up. There's still the appeal. Don't give up yet. We are working on it. And finish this magical creature class. They were walking back up to the castle with the rest of the class. Ahead, they could see Malfoy with Crab and Goyle. <laughs> Keep looking back, laughing derisively. That's a good word. D e r i s i v e, derisively, like mockingly. Look at him blubber. Malfoy said, "Have you ever seen anything quite as pathetic?" And he's supposed to be our teacher. The boys both made furious moves towards Malfoy, but Hermione got there first. Smack! She had slapped Malfoy across the face with all the strengths she could master, and the rest of them—Harry, Ron, Crabbe, and Goyle—stood flabbergasted. Flabbergasted. Good word again. F L A B B E R G A S T E D. Flabbergasted. And Hermione raised his hand again. Don't you dare! Call Hagrid pathetic, you foul, you evil. Ron tried to grab her hand as she swung it back. Get off, Ron! You can never imagine this is Ron trying to stop Hermione from punching someone. And when Hermione put out her wand, and everybody knows she's good, which even Malfoy stepped backward. Come on, Malfoy muttered. And in a moment, all three of them had disappeared into the passageway into the dungeon. Hermione, Ron said again, sounding both stunned and impressed. They hurried up the marble staircase towards Professor Flitwick's classroom. Charms. Oh yes, charms. I think Ron is falling.、Uh, wink, wink. As the three of them are already late, but when Ron and Harry entered the classroom, they didn't see Hermione. It's like we just vanished. 
she hadn't entered the classroom with them. That's weird," said Harry, and Ron as well. So maybe she went to the bathroom or something. But Hermione didn't turn up or listen. And in this charms lesson, they learned a cheering charm. So they were like, she could have done with a cheering charm on her too. Like everybody need a cheering charm. I think they just take some weed. Didn't they? So they went get lunch, and Hermione wasn't at lunch either. By the time they had finished their apple pie, the after effects of the weeds, the cheering charms, were wearing off, and Harry and Ron had started to get slightly worried. Like, where is Hermione? You don't think Malfoy did something to her, right? Ron said anxiously. So they just hurried upstairs towards Gryffindor Tower, and they passed the security trolls, gave the fat lady the password, and went straight into the common room. Hermione was sitting at a table, fast asleep, her head resting on an open, gigantic arismanthi book. They just sat down on either side. Harry prodded her weak. To their surprise, Hermione absolutely didn't remember leaving them. Go to charms. Where did she go? She just seemed to be sleeping all this time, and she's squeaking like, "Oh no, I forgot to go to the charms." Harry was like, "How could you forget? You were with us till we were right outside the classroom." Only Ron was like, "You know what, Hermione?" You know what? Just calm down. I reckon you're cracking up. You're trying to do too much. No, no, no. I'm not. Brushing her hair out of her eyes and staring hopelessly around for her bag. I, I just made a mistake. That's all. I'd better go and see Professor Flitwick and say sorry. I'll see you in divination. That's like in twenty minutes. So funny. Hermione is losing it. Hermione joined them at the foot of the ladder to Professor Trelawney's classroom. Twenty minutes later, looking extremely harassed. And you know her relationship with this whole divination class, and it's not gonna be pretty. So they are doing crystal ball today. As always, the three of them just making fun of Professor Trelawney. They didn't believe it of this magical fortune telling thingy, and I just couldn't help but wondering, like, what do you think? Do you believe it? They are doing this crystal gazing. So Professor Trelawney was saying. Crystal gazing is a particularly refined art. I do not expect any of you to see when first you peer into the orb's infinite depths. We shall start by practicing relaxing the conscious mind and external eyes, not the inner eyes, external eyes, so as to clear the inner eye and the superconscious. Perhaps, if we are lucky, some of you will see before the end of the class. I think I'm in between. Like I do believe you have the inner eye, but anywho, Harry, Ron, Hermione is so funny. They just they felt extremely foolish, staring blankly at the crystal ball, trying to keep his mind empty. When thoughts such as "this is stupid" kept drifting across it, it's a good sentence too. Actually, you can staring blankly at something you want to keep your mind empty, but the thoughts. Were drifting across your mind. You know, all these words are really good. So of course they couldn't see anything. And Professor Trelawney just rustled past. It's like, would anyone like me to help them? And Ron just, said, I don't need help. It's obvious what this means. There's going to be loads of fog tonight. To this, both Harry and Hermione burst out laughing, and they just couldn't stop either laughing or snigger. Ron already started to snigger uncontrollably in the beginning of the class, and had to stuff his fist in his mouth to stifle the noise. Oh, this is a good sentence as well. You know, just you stuff your fist in your mouth to stifle the noise of something. But Professor Trelawney was not very happy about it. Like, now, really, you are disturbing the clairvoyance, clairvoyant vibrations. I, I like how the girls. 
poverty and lavender were looking scandalized. Harry felt his heart sinking. He was sure he knew what was coming. There is something here, Professor Trelawney whispered, lowering her face to the ball so that it was reflected twice in her huge glasses. Something moving, but what is it? Harry was prepared to bet everything he owned, including his firebolts, that it wasn't good news, whatever it was. And sure enough, Professor Trelawney just breathed and, gazing up at Harry, said, "My dear." It is here, plainer than ever before, my dear. Stalking towards you, growing ever close. The green. Oh, for goodness' sake! Hermione said loudly. Not that ridiculous green again. Hermione is getting somewhere. Like first punch Malfoy, and now just being really defiant against the teacher. Everybody basically are、uh, flabbergasted. And finally, Professor Trelawney says something really a bit harsh. I'm sorry to say that from the moment you have arrived in this class, my dear, it has been apparent that you do not have what the noble art of divination requires. Indeed, I don't remember ever meeting a student whose mind was so hopelessly mundane. Oh oh. Hermione wouldn't punch a teacher. There was a moment's silence, and Hermione said suddenly, getting up, "Fine." So cramming, unfolding the future, the book back into her bag. Fine, she repeated, swaying the bag over her shoulder and almost knocking Ron off his chair. I give up. I'm leaving. Okay, knock off. If you knock off someone, you knock somebody off. This is a good word to keep. Good phrase to keep. And to the whole class amazement, Hermione strode over to the trapdoor. Kicked it open, kicked, kicked it open, and climbed down the ladder out of sight. It took a few minutes for the class to settle down again. Still, Lavender was still saying, "Ooh, Professor Trelawney, I've remembered. You saw her leaving, don't you? Didn't you? Said,、so、didn't you say that around Easter, one of our number will leave us forever? You said it ages ago." Yes, my dear. <laughs> oh gosh, for me, it's in between. I can't believe it, but sometimes it's sketchy, dodgy. But Harry couldn't imagine. It's like, had Professor Trelawney really seen the Grim again? Now the last thing he needed was another near fatal accident, with the Quidditch final drawing ever nearer. Couldn't afford that. And then we have the Easter holidays. So the Easter holidays were not exactly relaxing because the third years had never had so much homework. Everybody was cracking up. Still, nobody had as much to do as Hermione. Even without divination, she was taking more subjects than anybody else. She was usually last to leave the common room at night, first to arrive at the library the next morning. Oh, jeez! She had shadows like lupins under her eyes and seemed constantly close to tears. Ron now taking over responsibilities for Buckbeak's appeal. When he wasn't doing his own work, he was poring over enormously thick volumes with names like the Handbook of Hippogriff Psychology and things like that. And Harry, meanwhile, just to fit in his homework around Quidditch. Quidditch practices every day. It's physically practice, but also mentally discuss tactics with Wood. Because the Gryffindor versus Slytherin match would take place on the first Saturday after the Easter holidays, Slytherin was leading the tournament by exactly two hundred points. So the burden of winning fell largely on Harry because capturing the Snitch was worth one hundred and fifty points. So there is a huge tension building up to the match. Now, not only this legendary Quidditch Cup, because they hadn't won since the legendary Charlie Weasley, Ron's second oldest brother, had been sicker. So they really want to win. The whole of Gryffindor House was obsessed with the coming match, and the rivalry between Harry and the Malfoy, the amity between them, was also at its highest point. 
never, in anyone's memory, had a match approached in such a highly charged atmosphere. By the time the holidays were over, tension between the two teams and their houses were at the breaking point. Okay, so what's the result? Let's wait for the next episode. Okay, the Quidditch match, Quidditch final. This is such a huge event for the whole school of Hogwarts. Number one, we are going to talk about the ongoing question of how big is Hogwarts. A lot of people are asking. Even they ask J.K. Rowling. I think the answer from the writer herself was a thousand students or so. But people are like that doesn't add up. I think we can find the answer here in this chapter. There are evidence, and also secondly. I'm not going to focus on the match itself. Spoiler alert: They won. They won. <laughs> I'm not a huge sports person, so I don't really watch it like normal people would watch it. So I would rather focus on the writing itself, like how to write the suspense, how to write the kind of tension, stress you got from before a big match. So this part would more like a language learning or writing, creative writing learning session from J.K. Rowling. Yeah, and also some support that people don't really talk about. I think we can take a look for the whole episode itself. I mean, for the whole chapter, the storyline. I highly recommend you go listen to the audiobook. And it, Stephen Fry does such a wonderful job. I listened to it again, and to be honest, I don't remember. I don't remember what's going on with this Quidditch match in third book. I thought, did they win or did they lose? I don't care. But I really listened for the whole thing, and it's pretty gripping, I must say. I was like, listen to the very end when everybody just kind of congratulates to Harry, and you know they talk about McGonagall, Ron, Hermione, and Hagrid, and everybody. That quite get me emotional. So it's such. A good chapter, as such a de- vivid depiction from Stephen Fry. So yeah, I highly recommend you go listen to the this chapter's audiobook from Stephen Fry. Here we just get into the words, the sentences, and the plot. So okay, you already know that the amity is to a new height between Gryffindor and Slytherin. They are already kind of like. Are key enemies already, but now it's just on another level. So here is a de- description I find so funny because the tension already at the breaking point. So a number of small scuffles broke out in the corridors, culminating in a nasty incident in which a Gryffindor fourth year and Slytherin sixth year ended up in the hospital wing with leaks sprouting out of their ears. What a climax! It's also a good sentence. I mean, you can say a small or big scuffles. Accumulating、uh, in certain certain things, so some huge fight or small fight come to a climax of something, you know, accumulating scuffles. Try to use it. So while the rest of the houses are fighting, <laughs> Harry was having a particularly bad time of it as well. Remember, they need two hundred points to win the cup, right? So basically, that burden just hugely lay on Harry's shoulder, and then Harry now can't. Walk anywhere without being subtouched by the Slytherins. So Wood just ordered or gave instruction that Harry should be accompanied everywhere in case the Slytherins try to put him out of action. So it's like the whole of Gryffindor House took up the job. They all act like a bodyguard, I think, and so it's impossible for Harry to get. Get to classes on time, even because everybody was following him. He can't go anywhere without a vast chattering crowd. So funny, but yes, the Slytherins did try to subtouch him. They did try to do something to him because we see Crab and Goyle kept popping up wherever he went, but just have to blushing away. You know, him surrounded by people. It's not like worried for nothing. 
the protection did work. But for Harry himself, he worried more for his Firebolt's safety than his own. So whenever he wasn't flying the Firebolt, he locked it securely in his trunk and frequently dashed back up to Gryffindor Tower at break times to check that it was still there. I totally understand. It's like you cherish something so badly that you want to keep a close look at it check it every time as you you pursuits were abandoned in Gryffindor common room it's like everything is about this Quidditch match everything is about this even Hermione had put her books down it's like I can't I can't work I can't concentrate everybody be dealing with this stress in a different way for Fred and George they just be dealing with it by being louder and more exuberant than ever and Wood is losing it I think he is also cracking up so he just keeps you know sometimes they have those model of a Quidditch field those sort of model like a minuscule version of the Quidditch field they have that in the corner so Wood has been prodding little figures across it with his wand and muttering to himself I guess whether he is doing the tactics in his head or just losing it and the girls angelina alicia and katie were just play with fred and george play with the jokes harry worried about the firebolt also harry usually was setting with ron and hermione they would be a great comfort for him and him just try not to think about the next day try not to think about the thing but that's like a white bear situation you say don't think about the white bear full of your head is the white bear but every time he did that he had a horrible sensation about something very large was fighting to get out of his stomach i don't know what kind of metaphor is that but what kind of very large thing would come out from your stomach that's the kind of stress i guess they all went to bed on wood's instruction it's like take bed but harry slept really badly full of nightmares it's like we have to use neville instead in the dream and also the slitherings they were riding dragons he woke in the middle of the night with a start, but it was a few seconds before Harry remembered. You can't ride a dragon quietly. He just go out to get some water or some wine. <laughs> we don't know that. He just got out of his full poster and went to pour himself from a silver jug. Oh, gosh, what a beautiful setting. And kind of instinctively looking out the window, he saw something. Oh my lord, he dashed to his bedside table, snatched up his glasses and put them on and then hurried back to the window. It couldn't be the grain. No, it's Crookshanks. Or was it? Harry squinted. Crookshanks was trotting at something's side. What's that? It's a gigantic, shabby black dog. Crookshanks and this black dog are like best buddies. They are moving stealthily across the lawn. Harry is like, what the heck? If Crookshanks could see the dog as well, how could it be an omen of Harry's death? Can anybody else see the grim? The omen of Harry's death? This is a physical thing or is it just like omen? They tried to wake up Ron, but it's so dark. And as they were arguing, the pair on the lawn just disappeared. A loud snore told him Ron had fallen asleep again. So Professor Trelawney was also right. This is like the grim right before the match. Only it's just it didn't do anything to harm Harry. Little subplot. Okay, now finally is the Quidditch final. So this morning, breakfast, Wood is being a bitch again. No, I'm joking. He's a really good captain. He spent the whole breakfast urging his team to eat while touching nothing himself. And then before anyone could finish, he hurried them off to the field. <laughs> 
What's the point to ask us to eat when you don't let us finish our meals? And also a little thing here is Cho Chen said to Harry, "Good luck." And Harry just felt himself blushing. Gryffindor went to the field first, and when everybody, all the spectators, coming in the field, they went back to the locker room. So here we definitely have a size of the Hogwarts because they say for today this is like the highly anticipated match. So everybody's here, and we have the numbers description as there were three. Quarters of the crowd were wearing scarlet rosettes, and two hundred people were wearing green. The silver serpents of Slytherin glittered on their flags, and Professor Snape as well. So there are two hundred people on the Slytherin team supporters side, and then three quarters of the crowd were wearing scarlet rosettes. Gryffindor supporters. So. It's like if you do a little math here, there are about eight hundred people, right? So the size of Hogwarts should be contain eight hundred students, something like that. Anyway, we still have Lee Jordan, perfect, very biased commentator, but not like biased, just. Slytherins they really play dirty. First of all, they change their players. It's like other than Malfoy and the captain, the rest of the team were enormous. They are they are here to fight. They are here to play tricks, play dirty tricks. Cassie, I don't remember. I don't remember the end. Like, what's the result of this game? Because it wasn't in my memory. So I thought about all the ways it could go wrong, and it wasn't like that. So maybe we can read it through. Nah. Okay, let's go. Angelina Johnson got the quaffle, and she scores ten zero to Gryffindor. But as Angelina was celebrating, Slytherin captain, the huge guy, just go smashing into her, almost knock her off her broom. It's like, sorry, I didn't see her. Jeez, she's a woman, a girl. I shouldn't have said this, but how could you do that? You just bump into her, try to knock her off the broom. Dirty tricks, but Fred, Fred ducked his beater's club at the back of Flint's head, taking a club. Flint, like Slytherin captain's nose, smashed onto the handle of his broom. So he's got a nosebleed. They got penalty. Actually, we see a lot of penalty here, and Madam Hooch just shrieked. Okay, penalty shot to Gryffindor for that attack, and also penalty shot to Slytherin as well for that deliberate damage. Then Alicia beaten the keeper twenty zero to Gryffindor. What's Harry doing? Harry has to wait until Gryffindor's got like fifty points above Slytherin, and he could catch a snitch, and they won. That's the strategy. But right now he's kind of flying and dodging and just try to catch, catch, just track the golden snitch while waiting for the teammates to. As much as they can. Oh, also hold Malfoy off. Don't forget, Draco Malfoy was a seeker for Slytherin. Okay, back to the game. This Katie Bell was in position, was trying to score, but another Slytherin chaser has swerved in front of Katie. But instead of seizing the quaffle, they seized her head. Seized Katie, Katie Bell's head, grabbed her head, and Adam Hooch's whistle ran out again. A lot of whistle. A minute later, Katie Bell. Is it Katie Bell? Yes, Katie Bell had put another penalty past the Slytherin keeper. Thirty zero. Take that, you dirty cheating! Lee Jordan was shouting into the microphone. Or are they using microphone? That thing, anyway. The magnifier of the voice thingy. And then <laughs> Professor McGonagall just said, "Jordan, if you can't commentate in an unbiased way." And Lee Jordan just protested, "Professor, I'm telling it like it is." The game. Gryffindor in position again, and it was Angelina Johnson. 
also flint the slithering captain alongside her <laughs> lee jordan just like poke him in the eye angelina it was a joke professor it was a joke oh no flint in position flit flying towards the gryffindor goalpost come on now word save but okay slithering also scored I guess Lee Jordan just swore so badly, and Professor McGonagall just tried to tug that magical megaphone. Okay, it's not microphone; it's just a magical megaphone away from him. I guess it's like what Jordan basically just swears so much. I guess. Sorry, Professor. Sorry, won't happen again. So Gryffindor in the lead, thirty points to ten, and Gryffindor in position. It's not my word, but it's in the text. It was turning into the dirtiest game. Dirtiest. Harry had ever played in. Gets provoked and mad, enraged by Gryffindor's lead, the Slytherins were rapidly resorting to any kind of way, any means to take the quaffle. One player one chaser hit Alicia with his club. In return, George elbowed this guy in the face in retaliation. And Madame Hooch just awarded both team penalties. And Wood pulled off another spectacular save. Don't forget, our keeper is Wood, our captain. <laughs> So making the score forty ten, it's like Gryffindor scored the penalty short, and Wood blocked the slithering one. It's almost fifty points ahead, so Harry needs to find the snitch again. And Kitty scored fifty ten. Now Fred and George is like the air bodyguard for these chasers, and they were swooping around those. Chasers' clubs raised in case any of the Slytherins were thinking of revenge. So, because Fred and George were trying to act like a bodyguard around the chasers, so the other chasers took advantage of this absence to aim both bludgers at Wood. Oh, poor Wood! They caught him in the stomach one after the other. Oh, poor Wood! And he just rolled over in the air, clenching his broom, completely winded. Madame Hooch was beside herself. Is so mad at them. Ranked like you do not attack the keeper unless the quaffle is within the scoring area. Gryffindor penalty. And Angelina scored sixty ten. Moments later, Fred and George. No, 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 Fred Wesley. It's so easy to just call both of them. Pointed a bludger at another guy's, knocking the quaffle out of his hand. Alicia seized it and put it through the slithering goal. Seventy ten. Now, now, Gryffindor was sixty points in the lead, and if Harry now. Called the snitch. The cup was theirs, but of course we know it's not that easy. First, Harry saw it, and Harry tried to grab the snitch. But what Malfoy did? Malfoy grabbed hold of the fireball's tail and was pulling it back. Harry was angry enough to hit Malfoy, but couldn't reach. Malfoy was panting with the effort of holding onto the fireball, but it was described his eye was sparkling maliciously. It's a dirty play, but his purpose was achieved. The golden snitch had disappeared again, and also when Gryffindor took the penalty, Alicia was so angry she missed by a few feet. And when she missed, the Gryffindor team was losing concentration as well. They are also angry, and the Slytherins, delighted by that foul, they played it better. It's like Slytherin position. Slytherin scores. G seventy twenty to Gryffindor, and then Angelina Johnson gets the quaffle, and Harry. Saw every single Slytherin player apart from Malfoy was streaking up the pitch towards Angelina, including the keeper. They all going to block her. Harry was like, "Are you dirty scumbags?" And Harry just wheeled the fireball around, bent so low and flying flat along the handle. He shot towards the Slytherins, and all the Slytherins they just. 
all of a sudden scattered as the fireball zoomed towards them. I imagine they kind of like a rocket, like zoomed, like a bullet shot at them. So they just scattered. And then Angelina gets a way clear view and she scores. Now it's 80 points to 20. It's really a matter of the snitch now. He saw it. He saw Malfoy was diving and saw the snitch. And Harry urged the fireball downwards, but Malfoy was miles ahead. Go, go, go! Harry urged his broom. He was gaining on Malfoy. Harry flattened himself to the broom handle as Ball bent a blodger at him. He was at Malfoy's ankles. He was level. Harry threw himself forward, taking both hands, both hands off his broom. He knocked Malfoy's arm out of the way, and yes! He pulled out his dive, his hand in the air, and the stadium exploded. It's like Malfoy wasn't too bad of a seeker, I think. He also saw the golden snitch. Sometimes they, they say it's even hard to spot it, right? At least Draco saw the snitch. But Harry just faster, fastest on the firebolt. <laughs> anyway, I must say, good game. Now let's see how they congratulate him. I want to continue because this thing, this moment is really the highlight of this book. Later we know it kind of ended in a melancholy way. Let's just indulge ourselves in these highlights now. Sweetness, excitement, and victory, you know. First, the team members congratulate Harry by, you know, doing their stuff. They shout, wave won the cup, wave won the cup, as they are like described as back to earth. <laughs> waves upon waves of the supporters were pouring over the barriers onto the field. I don't think Harry can see anything. Harry just had a confused impression of noise and the bodies pressing in on him. But at least he can see Hagrid plastered with crimson rosettes. Plastered? Are you drunk? Hagrid. Oh, I guess so. You beat them, Harry. You beat them. Wait till I tell Buckbeak. And then there was Percy jumping up and down like a maniac. And Professor McGonagall was sobbing harder even than Wood, wiping her eyes with an enormous Gryffindor flag. Finally, fighting their way towards Harry were Ron and Hermione. Birds failed them. They simply beamed. Just I say no more. I'm just here looking at my mate. On towards the stand where Dumbledore stood waiting with enormous Quidditch cup. When Wood passed Harry the cup, he left it into the air. Harry felt that moment, he could have produced the world's best Patronus. Soak it in, guys, soak it in. <laughs> I wish it could just end here. Don't want to see bad things happen to them, but we know it's coming. So yeah, that ends chapter 15. And chapter 16, Professor Trelawney's prediction. For chapter 16, if you still stays in the Quidditch Cup euphoria like Harry did, Harry, that kind of euphoria at least stayed with him for a week. But then he has to be pulled back for the final exams. This is probably for your English speaker learners. A few good descriptions for the British boarding school, secondary school system, that kind of thing. Even though this is like Hogwarts. A wizarding world. It's nothing like our world, but it's still exactly like our world. Right, you're reading through those Harry Potter books, you feel, when the school term started in September, and then you go into holidays, Christmas, Easter, Halloween, and the Quidditch matches, final exams, and, you know, it's still the same. So you can learn quite a lot from reading those books. Here in Hogwarts, it was like June is approaching. The days became cloudless and sultry. I love it. It's like summer is coming. I know that feeling. After a long winter, finally, the weather is picking up and temperature is going up. 
everybody felt like going outside. You know, you don't want to stay indoors. You feel like strolling onto the ground, flopping down on the grass with several pints of iced pumpkin juice, perhaps playing a casual game of gobstone. That's the equivalent of marbles. So. But they couldn't. Exams were nearly upon them, and instead of lazy hanging around outside, the students were forced to remain inside the castle, trying to bully their brains into concentrating. You know that feeling when you want to go out. The enticing summer air is drifting in through the windows, but you have to stay inside and you have to bully your brain. Oh gosh, I miss that student life. Friend George, they were about to take their Ls, O W Ls, ordinary visiting levels. Percy was. Getting ready to take his NEWTS, <laughs> nastily exhausting wisdom tests, the highest qualification Hogwarts offered. As Percy hoped to enter the Ministry of Magic, he needed top grades. He was becoming increasingly edgy. I never mess with them. Those people who are preparing for some highly intense exams, so he would give very severe punishments to anybody who disturbed the quiet, the quietness of the common room, and in fact. The only person, of course, the only person who seemed more anxious than Percy was Hermione. She scored this impossible exam dates schedule that Ron was examining and couldn't get it. And at this moment, they got a letter from Hagrid. Buckbeak's appeal, actually, is just ex execution day, was set for the sixth. Just right after they finished their exams, and after the Quidditch final, Draco laid low a little bit. But just after a while, he seemed to regain some of his old swagger over the next few days. And from sneering comments Harry overheard, Malfoy was certain Buckbeak was going to be killed. Okay, let's move into the exam week. Let's see if there is any sentence we can learn. So it began, and an unusual hush fell over the castle. The third years emerged from transfiguration. You know, Professor McGonagall's exam at lunchtime on Monday. You know what students do? Finish the exam. They will come in the during the lunchtime, comparing results and moaning about how difficult it is. But not for Hermione. Hermione was. Irritated by not getting a perfect score, they were turning what into turtles, and she was like, "My turtle is not perfect." But that was the least of everybody else's worries. Then, after a hasty lunch, it was straight back upstairs for the charms exam. Hermione had been right. Professor Flitwick did include test them on cheering charms, but for the care of magical creature exam, Hagrid was having a heavy heart, very preoccupied air indeed. And they had potions that afternoon, which was an unqualified disaster. It is something we don't understand. Like <laughs> Harry couldn't get his confusing concoction to thicken, and Snape standing watching with an air of vindictive pleasure. Then came astronomy at midnight. Up on the tallest tower, history of magic on Wednesday morning. If you still remember, in the beginning of this book, Harry lived in Diagon Alley, and he went to this. Ice cream shop. The owner is called Florin Fortescue. So right now, Harry just tried very hard to think about everything Florin Fortescue had ever told him about medieval witch hunts, while wishing he could really have a taste of Florin's coconut sundae ice cream. You know, everything comes together. Studying okay, but I was want that ice cream. 
Wednesday afternoon meant herbology in the greenhouses under a baking hot sun. Then back to the common room once more, with sunburned necks. Their second to last exam on Thursday morning was defense against the dark arts. Professor Lupin had compiled the most unusual exam any of them had ever taken. A sort of obstacle course outside in the sun, where they had to wade across a deep paddling pool containing a. Grandilo crossed a series of potholes full of red caps, squashed their way across a patch of mush while ignoring misleading directions from a hinky punk, then climbed into an old trunk and battled with new baguettes. You know, just through the term, everything I told you guys, these now you pass them in the sun. Kind of gave them a live rehearsal for the real battles, and Harry did well, I guess, because he's got an excellent full marks. And finally, while watching Ron and Hermione, we get to see what Hermione's baguette. It's Professor McGonagall, and she said Hermione is going to feel everything. That's her worst nightmare. Okay. It took a little while to calm Hermione down. Then they saw Cornelius Fudge sweating slightly, even started at the sight of Harry. So he said he was here on an unpleasant mission, that is to kill Buckbeak. The committee for the disposal of dangerous creatures required a witness to the execution of a mad hippogriff. So he needed to visit Hogwarts to check on the black situation. I was asked to step in, Fudge said to Harry. Then two wizards came through the castle doors behind him. Hermione stopped them from saying anything more because she spotted they've even got the axe ready. Injustice! They went back all around them. People were talking excitedly as they ate their lunch because it's the end of the exams. But Harry, Ron, and Hermione lost in worry about Hagrid and Buckbeak. Then join in that kind of excitement. Harry and Ron's last exam was divination. Hermione quit, right? So for Hermione, it was Muggle studies. When they get to the exam, they see many of their classmates were sitting on the spiral staircase, try to cram in a bit of last-minute studying. Classic kids. And the Neville told them that she is seeing us all separately. It's like she's giving us the test all separately. Either of you ever seen anything in that crystal ball? Also asked them unhappily. Nope. Said Ron in an offhand voice. Ron will say anything in an offhand voice now, cause he kept checking his watch. Harry knew that he was counting down to the time until Buckbeak's appeal started. One by one, they just go in, have their tests. I also was wondering, like, what if someone came out, just told the rest of them what's the questions, you know, just like cheating a little bit. And then Neville came out, told them like. Nope, she says the crystal balls told her that if I tell you, I will have a terrible accident. Children, so easy to manipulate. <laughs> the Ron just ah,、oh, that's convenient. Ron was the penultimate student to go in, and Harry was the last. When Harry gets in, the heat was overpowering, and his nostrils were stinging with the perfumed smoke wafting from the fire beside them. And he just like ah,、oh, let's get this over with quickly. He decided to fake it. He's like pretending to see something in the crystal ball. Finally, the test is about to end, but all of a sudden, Professor Trelawney was possessed by an evil spirit, and said something in a loud, harsh voice that it will happen tonight. Harry just like sorry, but Professor Trelawney didn't seem to hear him. 
Her eyes started to roll, and Harry just stood there in a panic. <laughs> it looked as if she was about to have some some sort of seizure. He even thinking of like running to a hospital wing. But then Professor Trelawney spoke again in the same voice, quite unlike her own. You know, her voice is like misty, but this time it's like the Dark Lord lies alone and friendless, abandoned by his followers. His servant has been chained these twelve years. Tonight, before midnight, the servant will break free and. Set out to rejoin his master, the Dark Lord will rise again with his servant's aid, greater and more terrible than ever before. Tonight, before midnight, the servant will set out to rejoin his master. In the book, all these tests are in caps. I was like, this is not a very good composed prediction. So that's the whole chapter. The, the title suggests Professor Trelawney's prediction. It's not very good. I was expecting some sort of riddle, quite poetic passages, something like that. But anyway, Harry just stood there staring. But obviously, Professor Trelawney didn't know what happened, and she just like I didn't say anything about the Dark Lord, he who must not be named. Oh, my dear boy, it must have drifted off for a moment, and you too, maybe like you're dreaming. You must have dozed off too. Harry climbed back down the ladders, and five minutes later, he was dashing past the security trolls outside the entrance to Gryffindor Tower, rejoined by Ron and Hermione. But never mind the Dark Lord. Now they have something more serious. It's like Buckbeak. They lost appeal. They're going to execute Buckbeak. Some said nothing we can do. Hagrid's like, don't come down. I don't want you to see this. But after some sets, there is no chance for them to go anywhere with highly and intense security trolls. They will need invisibility cloak, but it was beside that one-eyed witch, and Harry can never get anywhere near there because who knows if he sees Harry anywhere near that. But then Hermione just offered to help. It's like. Where did you hide it, and how did you get it? Harry just like you tap it and say descendium. As Ron and Harry were just thinking about why is she asking, she hasn't gone to get it. Hermione's already gone. <laughs> Didn't even wait for the rest of Harry's sentence to finish. She got it. That's why we say smart girls, you know, super efficient. And she just strode across the room, pushed open the fat lady, and vanished. And then she had came back with the invisibility cloak. Ron at at. Astounded, Hermione! I I don't know what's gotten into you lately. First you hit Malfoy, then you walk out on Professor Trelawney, and now this. Hermione just took it as a compliment, you know, as like rather flattered. With the invisibility cloak, they reached Hagrid's cabin and knocked. Hagrid stood back. They stepped inside. Hagrid's like, "You shouldn't have come," and in a state that was. Pretty helpless, and this helplessness was worse to watch than tears. He was offering them some tea, with a hand trembled so violently that the milk jug slipped and shattered all over the floor. I'll do it, Hagrid. Hermione just said quickly, and hurrying over and started cleaning up the mess. Such a good girl. So we just know that Dumbledore tried, everybody tried. It's just Lucius Malfoy's got power over the committee, and everybody are scared to not following his. Instruction because Malfoy's、uh, threatened them, and also this Axeman Magnair, yeah, Magnair, the executioner, was an old pal of Malfoy's. Hagrid's giving up. He's like, at least it will be quick and clean, and I'll be beside him. Then Hagrid wanted them to leave because they will get into big trouble. 
if Deng Budo and Fudge caught them there. As we see the camera pan to Hermione, there's silent tears streaming down Hermione's face. Oh, and she hid them with from Hagrid, busting about making tea. It's like making some noises to cover the tear, the sobbing. And then all of a sudden, she picked up the milk bottle to pour some into the jug. Jeez, there's a rat. Who is that? The scabbers. The scabbers. Ron scabbers, and it's like, oh my lord, I don't believe it. Scabbers. Ron gaped at her. What are you talking about? Hermione carried the milk jar. It's like, see, scabbers, looking dreadful, even thinner than ever. Large tufts of hair had fallen out, leaving wide bald patches, and this rat looks like dying, but and also desperate to free himself from Ron's grip, from Ron's hands. It's okay, scabbers, said Ron. No cats. There's nothing here to hurt you. At this moment, Fudge, Dumbledore, and the Axeman McNair are coming, so they have to. They've got to go. And Ron just stuffed Scabbers into his pockets, and Hermione picked up the cloak. They just went out from the back garden. This was slightly different from the movie, right? I think you already know because in the movie, Hagrid gave Scabbers to Ron as they were walking out from the back garden, and they saw Buckbeak a few few yards away. Tethered to a tree behind Hagrid's pumpkin patch in the movies, as they were running, hiding behind a large pumpkin, I think, or some stone, they noticed somebody must be behind them, and we know the time travel thing. But here, they just kept running, and Ron just at some point stopped dead because Scabbers won't stay put, try to break free. And in the movies, Scabbers it's wrong here, and they were just reaching the Wamping Willow, and we see a huge, gigantic dog、uh, dragged Ron into one. The tree hole that will come later. Okay, so they they left, but the three of them kind of get. There was a jumble of indistinct male voices, a silent, and then without warning, the unmistakable swish and thud of an axe. Mine is wait on the spot. They did it, or did they? <laughs> Until the next one, chapter seventeen: cat, rat, and dog. <laughs> Pretty straightforward.